Good morning, SABC. Great to be with you again. And a special welcome to anyone else who's looking online. It's great to have you with us too. I want to ask you a question. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? Well, obviously you think you see this stunning person um, that's there. But I want to ask you, do, do you at times see more than that? You know, the first book of the Bible tells us that God created us in His image, which is a stunning statement. It would be laughed out of the planet if anyone else had said it. But God said He made mankind in His image. So I want to ask you, do you at times see anything of God's qualities and attributes in yourself? You know, when we become a Christian, God goes to work overtime in developing these things within us. And my goal for us as a church coming out of the lockdown is to be more established in, in his identity in Christ. The more that's developed, you know, the more human we actually become. Because we were designed to operate um, in relationship with God. We are three things, body, soul and spirit. And we work better when all three are alive and operating. We become more loving. We become less selfish. We become more focused on others. We become a better person. You know, when God looks at us as a Christian, as I said last week or last time, he, he sees sons or daughters in Christ. He sees um, people who are adopted. He says, I've adopted you into my family and I love you and I will bless you. That's what God sees, people who are blessed. Well, today I want to focus on another aspect of what our identity is in Christ, and that is saved, S-A-V-E-D. You know, if God was on the mirror, as we were looking through on the other side, when God looks at us, he would see saved. And on my side, looking back into the mirror, I would see the words, as I like to say, I'm his, I'm absolutely safe because I'm his. And I want to ask you whether you know that. In the depths of your heart, do you know that you are saved. Come what may, you're his. We're looking at the passage in Ephesians in chapter 2, and this is what it says. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this whole world, according to the prince of the power of the year, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of God's wrath, fulfilling uh, just as the others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with us, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, Paul is explaining our identity as Christians is that we are saved. 
And then he goes on and he explains what salvation looks like and feels like. And the first thing he says in verse 1 is that when we get saved, we come alive. You could say we, we come more fully alive because suddenly our spirit, which he says has been dead or inactive, suddenly the switch gets flicked and suddenly our spirit gets switched on. And the center part of us comes alive. And I want to ask you, do you remember when that actually happened for you and what it felt like? I mean, it happened for me when I was 16, more than just a few years ago. But I remember it like it was yesterday. In an instant, I was changed. I was high. I've never taken drugs in my life. I've just never felt the, the need to, to go down that route. But, but I was high and I was zinging with coming alive. And it stayed with me for days and days and days. And it's different for every single person how God uh, does it and how we feel. But for me, I went through a range of emotions. And I was left in no doubt that I was alive inside in a way that I had never known before or experienced. You know, usually when we're talking about salvation, we start with the issue of sin. And we describe all the wrong things that people do and, and all the things that we're not supposed to do. But the problem with starting with sin is that actually, most times, sin is actually pleasurable. I mean, if we tell the truth, no one would sin if it wasn't fun and enjoyable and felt good to do it, at least at first. But the trouble is, sin has a sting in its tail. And eventually the damage and the pain and the selfishness catches up with us with a big bite around our life. But do you remember what it was like to come alive? And as I say, it was different. it's different for every person. But I honestly felt like I was walking on air and it went on for days and days. And then, and then it went on into a second week till slowly I began to come down to this new normal. That was me, but I never went back to where I was. I found within me there was a love for God that grew almost instantly, a love for people, and I just wanted to serve God and see his kingdom expand. Now, you know, I've met Christians who absolutely know that they're saved and that they're going to heaven. And I've met others who really struggle to believe that they're saved. Well, they have what is called trouble with assurance. And the amount of feelings can vary, so don't get too swayed by that. But if you've been truly saved, change happens and you are no longer the same. And if you're listening as an unbeliever, I want to say to you, this experience can happen for you too. Please stay listening and listen to what comes next. You know, verse 2 starts talking about people walking along a certain path, a certain journey that we have. And it's a journey of walking away from God. It's the path of sin. You know, it's interesting to imagine how far you can go if you just get up each day and walk in the same direction, go to sleep, get up each day and work further in the same direction. Eventually, you, you are a long way away from where you began. About three years ago, my wife and I went to Spain, Portugal and Spain, to walk part of the Camino. And we walked for just 10 days. You can walk for six weeks um, if you wish to, but we did just 10 days. And I, I was amazed at how far we traveled when we just got up each day and we walked in the same direction. The next day, same direction, and how far we got to. Well, friends, God is like home. 
I mean, everything about God just feels natural and right when we come to know him. It's amazing. It's a good description of home. Can you imagine how far from home we can go if we just keep walking away from home and away from God? And I'm not saying that everyone gets down to committing evil things. Although some people do, tragically too many people do. But human brokenness and willfulness are involved and so are supernatural powers. And verse 2 talks about that as well. And many people in their lives walk down some very destructive paths. And they're a long way away from where they started. But getting saved completely changes that. It sets our lives up to be better people. It also sets up the next generation also to be more productive, more helpful because of something we do in our lives. Something in the spiritual DNA of our lives changes and it affects our children and our children's children and so on. You know, there's a famous example of this, um, of the power of saved that was discovered in the legacies of two men from the 1700s, over 150 uh, years ago. One was a strong, influential Christian, and uh, his name was Jonathan Edwards, and there was a non-Christian man called Max Jukes, and they both lived, as I said, in the 1700s. And, and Max's legacy came, became noticed when the family trees were being done of different people who were in prison, and Believe it or not, 42 different men in the New York prison system, system traced back to Max Jukes. And Max's descendants not only had these 42 convicts in it, but his descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, in other words, we call them prostitutes today, and 130 other convicts besides those who have already been mentioned, and 310 paupers, with over 2,300 years, if you added all their lives together, of living in, in the poorhouses within the system of um, in England of trying to help people who, who were the, the poorest of the poor. And then 400 who were physically wrecked by indulgent living, probably involving alcohol. What a legacy. Jonathan Edwards, however, was a strong Christian. He had been saved. He went on to become a pastor and was part of bringing the revival in the 1700s to America. And his legacy included one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, um, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and over 100 missionaries. What a change in legacy between these two men, one just spiraling down and the other having these amazing people um, on an upward curve. And history is full of the stories of people who were saved by Jesus, their own lives were transformed, and the trajectory of the future generations was also changed as well. And then verse 3 says, all of us were or if we're unsaved, still are on that trajectory of selfishness and sin and even possibility of depravity. And it's quite scary when we understand the potential for a depraved life that we carry within the broken wiring within our own um, natures. 
I've got a friend who's never touched alcohol and I asked him, he's in his 70s, and I asked him once, um, why, why do you do that? You know, it's, it's not a wrong thing. And he said, yeah, I know it's not. He said, but, but he said, my father was a drunk, my brother is an alcoholic, and I know that without Jesus Christ, I've got that predisposition within me as well, and I just don't want to go there. You know, it's worthwhile to actually look back into our family history. So I've done it with our own family history. And, and usually we don't have to look far to, to find what's been covered up, what's not talked about, what's swept under the carpet of history in your family line of tragedy or addiction or sin. It just lurks. And it can be sobering or even downright scary to realize what could have gone wrong in our own lives as well, were it not for the change that Jesus brings. You know, all of us were walking down that path. We've all sinned, whether big or small. And one of the features of sin is pride. And pride just causes us not to see things in the proper perspective. We seem to think of ourselves as better than we should. And it blinds us to our own need of Jesus to save us and to change us. A striking example of someone who's just been blinded in our own day is Neil Ferguson, who was the scientist who advised the UK government to um, the need to change from a herd mentality with COVID-19, just letting it run loose in Britain, to actually bringing Britain into a lockdown. He said, you have to lock Britain down. And we know that the British government has done that. And yet he broke his own advice of lockdown. And he met with his married lover, not just once, but twice. Somehow, pride caused him to feel that he was above his own rules. And so, also, he committed adultery. And that's an example of how far pride can, can blind us. And Paul's saying everyone's walking down this path of walking away from God, indulging in sin to, to some degree. And yet feeling that somehow we're above the rules because we're not as bad as others, so it makes us feel good. Or we say, I don't believe in God. And I want to say that changes nothing if you don't believe God exists. When you meet him, you'll know. And verse 3 tells us that the destination of an unsaved life is separated from God, under his judgment, and heading for hell. But it's a choice. Basically, verse 3 tells us that every human on the planet is stuffed. Everyone is walking away. And of ourselves, no one is able to make themselves perfect enough to be able to have, be, uh, embrace heaven. And verse 4 comes in contrast to that, and it's one of the best verses in the Bible. Have a look at it. It says, but God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. You see, God is bigger and God is better than we think. Those stereotypical thoughts of, of God being this angry, judgmental person who's up there, a celestial being with a stick, ready to beat us if we, if we get in any trouble, are absolute rubbish. But God is rich in mercy, deeply loving towards humans. You know, if you or I were God, imagine what we would do. I mean, what a joke, eh? If you or I were God. But let's just imagine that we could and we were. 
and everyone's walking away on a path of sin and selfishness and thinking they're above the law and many of, of the ones walking away get involved in evil which leads to abuse of people and addictions and murders and wars and destruction just like is happening on the planet today we are more than likely to just grab the whole universe and screw the whole thing up and wipe the slate clean and throw it all into some celestial rubbish bin and say, wow, that was a bad experiment. But God, because of his awesome and loving and merciful nature, he does what every parent does when they find their child in a mud pool, covered from head to toe in grime. He finds a way to rest. Every parent finds a way to rescue them and cleans the child up and allows their child to keep on living and keep on growing. And there's nurture and there's encouragement and there's, you can do better than that. And God's doing that individually to people right across the planet. He's not rushing people before they're ready. He's not trying to force people to accept him and to love him, but he's drawing us. And he's revealing himself to people everywhere so they can see him and they can reach out and they can believe the goodness that he's done in Jesus. And if you're a Christian today, you've had that moment when suddenly you saw that there was more to life than just the four senses that we, that we carry. And you realized that God was real. He was outside of, of time and, and this universe, but he was real. And Jesus somehow revealed himself to you. And you asked for forgiveness and you invited him into the center of your life as your leader. And wow, you came alive and the direction of your life changed. And the cool thing is that God does everything for salvation to happen, except make us believe it. We get to choose about that. And once you've been a Christian for a while, Slowly the light seems to go on and we begin to see the huge cost to God to save us. The detail of the plan that was unveiled, that was millennia long, and the unbelievable nature of that plan. And we see the consequences that we were excused from, of our sin, but God wasn't excused from. And he built, bore the punishment for those things. God was literally punished for what we'd done. And when we see that, we go kind of quiet and we go, wow. And we're deeply grateful to God. And if you've had such a God moment, think back upon it. Let the awesomeness fill you with joy and wonder again. And then verses 7 to 9 tells us that we not only get a new start here in this life, but we get heaven as well. Eternity is secured because we're saved. We are His. God is going to chuckle and smile and enjoy us for eternity. As we get to that perspective of heaven and are able to see the plan in all of its scope and all that was involved and get struck in the heart again and again and again by the goodness of our God to us, that he would actually save us instead of destroy us. You know, I've already discovered as a Christian that the deeper you study and look into Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, the more you go, wow, it's actually by his grace that anybody, including me, gets saved. And verse 10 points us towards the fact that we're saved for a purpose. There's a reason why we're on the planet. There's fulfillment and destiny 
to come from this. So if you've experienced coming alive in Christ, I want to say to you, capture it again. Take it into the deepest part of your heart as to who you now are and say to yourself often, I am saved. Let it actually define you. And if you've never experienced this from God, well, why not you? Why not? You have the potential for a great future now and heaven for eternity, but it's a choice. The truth is you really are, like we all were, on a road heading away from God. And it's a downhill road with sin and damage and hell. But what potential for a different and great life is yours if you were to choose to follow Jesus? You know, I've got a good, asked a good friend of mine just to share his story of how he found Jesus, how Jesus opened himself up, revealed himself to him. His name's Matt McInnes, and I want to invite you to sit back and to listen to Matt's story. God bless you.